Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good to see all you beautiful people here today. Um, before you sit down, say hi to one another, give each other a hug, high five. If you've got a special handshake, go ahead, do what you need to do. Well, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be reading from the book of John, from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, the last chapter of that book. And we'll be looking at verses 9 through 19. So let's begin. A reading from the book of John. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. And did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he, he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, John of, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we have so much to be grateful for. We are grateful that UH is 3-0. and What a miracle that is, Lord. Lord, we pray for another trip to the Super Bowl, a Sugar Bowl. It would be great to see them at the Super Bowl. But all kidding aside, Lord, we come to you this morning wanting to hear from you. Lord, we come here to this morning wanting to see your face, to feel your presence, and to get a touch of your love. Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us this morning. May we come to comprehend the extent of your grace towards us. Speak to us this morning, Lord. Anoint my lips, 
so that your people will be blessed this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the title of my sermon this morning is Denise Richards, The Cook, and a One-Night Stand. Now I'm going to start off with a little story. Um, when we were younger, um, Michelle and I took a trip to Seattle to visit my sister-in-law. And we, we went there for a little while. And while we were up there, we decided to drive up to Canada. And um, so we drove up to British Columbia, and there's this one place where there's this bridge. And underneath this bridge, there's this marketplace. Um, I don't remember exactly the name that it's called, but we went there, and it's pretty cool. So um, we went shopping, and we were running low on funds. So we decided, okay, we've got to go to the ATM. So we went to the ATM to take out some cash, and there was two people in front of us. Um, and we noticed that this one person, it was a short lady, maybe about 5'2", five, 5'3", five, wearing pink sweatpants and a pink, pink sweatshirt, carrying one of, I mean, at the time it was popular to have a diva dog, so he had, she had one of these diva dogs wearing shades, and for some reason, she looked like a somebody. And we were standing right behind her, and I was thinking to myself, hey, that lady looks like Denise Richards. And if you don't know who Denise Richards is, she was an actor way back maybe in 1990-something. Um, but we were standing right behind her, and we're like, oh, my gosh, I think that's her. I don't know. Should we ask? No, no we don't want to embarrass her. Because she was trying to look inconspicuous. And we're like, no, she probably doesn't want to be bothered, so we won't bother her. But we were wondering, who, is this her? Like, it looks like her. She, I thought she was taller. So she got up to the machine, and took out her money, and she turned around, and we're like, oh my gosh, that is Denise Richard. We were standing right next to her, She's right next to a somebody. And we're like, okay, play it cool, play it cool. And the guy behind us goes, oh my God, it's Denise Richards. I love you, I love you. And she, she kind of put her head down and was like, felt very uneasy. And she's like, oh, thank you, thank you. And she walked away. And we're like, we could have done that. Like, we could have just... Made a big deal out of it, and hey, can we take a selfie with you? You know, well, I love the line in verse 12, and if we can put that up. It says, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. What a funny line. Like, why would that question even pop up in their mind? Who are you? If they knew, Right? So are there times in your lives where you're unsure of what God is doing? Is God really there? Why would he be here in this situation? Could God be in Las Vegas, in Sin City? Could God be in the nightclub or at a concert? Could God be there in Hurricane Lane? And Hurricane Olivia. How could God be in that? Would God really show up in this place at this time with these people? Have you ever asked yourself, could God really be in this? 
God couldn't be in this, could he? See, sometimes God does some unusual things and appears in some unorthodox ways in our lives and in the lives of others. Now, on that note, you need to remember that the incarnation of Jesus, when Jesus came to earth, in that came the ushering of the kingdom of God into this world. So Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, preached and taught about the kingdom of God being here and now. Now, if we can be honest with ourselves, I mean, really honest. Sometimes we take God for granted. I know I do. I, I do it many times. I mean, we've all taken the stories that we hear in the gospel about God's grace and say, you know what, that's a nice story. But do we really give God the gratitude that we should? I know that many times I don't. So this idea of the kingdom being present was revolutionary to those who heard the gospel. This idea of God serving his creation is profound. Let me try and explain this as best as I can. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, is cooking and preparing a meal for his disciples. Can you see how that idea alone is just mind-boggling? The pagan idea of God is that the gods don't feed people. The gods are narcissistic and self-serving. We feed the gods. We give God the sacrifices. God does not serve us or cook for us. And sadly, many Christians today still have this view that is not very different from the pagan idea of God if we're honest with ourselves. I got to do this, because if not, God's going to be mad. Can you see how this view of Jesus as the revelation of God is revolutionary? We take that for granted. We're like, God serves us. That, yeah, that, that's, that's how God is. But that's not how most people understand God to be. See, the God of Israel is not selfish or narcissistic or emotionally fragile, but he's generous. Not only is he generous, but he's loving and he's merciful and forgiving. How can you not love a God like this? So Jesus goes out of his way to engage, to commune, and to hang out with the disciples. Even Peter, the one who denied and betrayed Jesus three times after claiming that he would never, ever do such a thing, Jesus came to hang out with him. 
Now, I have seasons in my life where things get so busy and stressful, and I, I tend to fail to recognize the people in my life that are important, namely my wife. Okay? There are times when she unexpectedly asks the question, do you love me? <laughs> now, for you newlyweds out there or you young people, the answer is yes. It's always yes, okay? If you go, uh, sometimes be prepared for a long night, okay? Because you're literally, babe, 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 I'm sorry. I was just joking. It's a joke. Come on, come on. The answer is always yes. So I respond, yeah, babe, you know I love you. Then she asks, how much? So I stretch up my arms like this, and I say, this much. And she looks at me and she goes, that's all. (laughs) Then she asks the question again, do you love me? And us locals, like you use pigeon to express our love, right? I love you super plenty. Do you really? Yeah, babes, you mean the world to me. And then she responds, yeah, I know. And I'm like, what was all that about? But she just wants to know. She wants to see how much we're committed to each other. See, the text says that Jesus confronts Peter, and not in this mushy way that I just described, but Jesus pushes the issue. This conversation is not like a third grade student apologizing to one another. It's not like, hey, apologize to Jesus. And then be, I'm sorry, Jesus. It's okay. No, Jesus' conversation with Peter goes deeper than a third grade apology. See, after denying Jesus three times, it's Jesus who initiates the conversation. It's Jesus who's offering forgiveness while purposely probing whether Peter desires a restorative, committed relationship with him. Do you love me? Are you sure? Do you really love me? Is this what you really want? See, it's forgiveness and a commitment that leads to sincere repentance. This is what German scholar and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer would call costly grace. He says, in experiencing such rich grace that encourages Peter to pursue the giver of this grace without reservation. This is the kind of grace, the kind of love, that makes you want to sell all that you have to pursue Jesus. It's a life affected by costly grace that becomes a life of gratitude to the giver and creator. It's a grace that transforms a life to a life of character and virtue. We do this because we love God because of what he's done for us, not because we were told to do so. It's a life 
that is full of generosity, which bestows upon others faith, hope, and love. See, it's a life that gracefully receives all that God gives to us, the compassion, the grace, the mercy, and generously gives it back out. Now Bonhoeffer goes on to describe another type of grace, how grace can be cheapened. A cheap grace. A cheap grace is a grace that seeks justification and forgiveness without repentance without making a turn, without any change in behavior. Cheap grace is like a one-night stand. All of the benefits of intimacy without the commitment. Now, many of us have cheapened the grace that God has given to us. I know I'm guilty of it. We all have. In fact, Christians, I included, feel entitled rather than grateful at times. As long as I've been forgiven so that I can get into heaven, that's good enough for me. Don't make me change, Jesus. I don't want to change. Jesus, you should love me just as I am. So I'm going to stay just as I am. See, the problem with cheapening grace is that we never get to experience the kingdom of heaven that Jesus has ushered into the world. We will miss the opportunity to participate with God in restoring and healing a world that is hurting that is suffering, that is broken. We who are created to be the image bearers of God, we will remain a tainted shell of the image bearer of God due to living a life of cheap grace. This is the difference of an entitled life compared to a life of gratitude. So we go back to Peter. Jesus is not forgiving Peter for denying him three times by asking him whether Peter loves him three times. Um, So he's not just forgiving him, but what he's doing, he's doing something more. I think when Jesus is saying, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep, Jesus is sharing his own work with Peter. What an act of forgiveness. Would you give something who betrayed to someone who betrayed you and give them something that you're doing, something that's precious to you? That's what Jesus has done for Peter and for us. He says, I know you betrayed me, but come, participate in what I'm doing. N.T. Wright states this, and if we can put that screen up. He said, somewhere, deep down inside, there's a love for Jesus. 
And though you let him down enough times, he wants to find that love to give you a chance to express it, to heal the hurts and failures of the past and give you a new work to do. Let us pray. At this time, I am going to give you a time to reflect and to pray. And then I'll come in and pray after. But just think on these things. What will you do with God's grace? How do you value the grace that God has given to you? Do you accept it just to avoid punishment? Or are you grateful and appreciate the forgiveness that you've been given? And finally, is your act of service one of love and faith and mercy and grace.